Hey everyone, and welcome back to the All-Stars Journey. I'm your host, Matt Charles from Sliding Lodge Performance Horses, and in this episode, we'll be chatting to a horseman by the name of Rob Lawson. Rob's been in the industry for a long time and carries a lot of knowledge. He's worked in places as the United States, Italy, with people like Pat Pirelli, um, worked out of Willowbrook Farms. He's also ridden some of the horses that have been sired by Joe Cody, who was an early sire, prominent in the reining industry. Let's have a chat to Rob, find out some history about him and some very exciting things within the reining industry that are coming up. I'm currently sitting inside with Rob Lawson on this awesome spring day, raining, cold, windy, wet. Um, but green, Matthew, it's green. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, very, very green. Yeah. Considering last year where we were pretty much brown and had no grass at all, it's really good to see this. Yeah. this... And don't forget the smoke. We had a fair amount of smoke last year, so I'm happy to have a little bit of mist, misty rain, nice green grass, things are growing, things are coming to life. It's mm. fantastic. But we've got shows coming up and we need to ride horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a downside, but anyway. <laughs> cool. So let's start off with how you actually began getting involved with horses, because you've been involved for a long time. Yeah, so I was kind of, um, it's, I don't know, a little bit of a fish out of water. I started, uh, the only one in my family who rides, <clears throat> um, my family were actually mushroom growers, so I grew up on a on a in a very interesting way so on forklifts and tractors and machinery and in in old disused railway tunnels and um so yeah it was a, a great childhood but um but my kind of desire was to be with animals so um and as luck would have it um Lookie young was um involved with our mushroom farm her and her husband hank um, we're working with mum and dad at Helensburg and then we started up the mushroom farm in Melbourne, Melbourne Mushrooms, and Hank and Lookie went down to Melbourne and Lookie got some ground and started up her Green Hills um, quarter horse stud and Palominos, you know, looking at Palominos and, and, um, and yeah, the whole quarter horse bud line. Um, she brought out a horse called Upset Over really early back in the, would have been late 60s, early 70s. And um, I used to go down to her place for you know, holidays occasionally when Dad was going down to look at the farm down in, in, um, in Melbourne. Um, and then a couple of mates of mine were also um, into the whole, you know, bush <clears throat> um, rodeo um, uh, jackarooing idea. And here are a bunch of kids in, in southern suburbs of Sydney um we you know called ourselves the drovers and had <laughs> stock whips and stuff in and so yeah so we we kind of all um gravitated to that we all started rodeoing together so it's kind of really interesting that a bunch of kids from at Guymere High would all go out and start rodeoing together <laughs> yeah nice um and then um yeah we used to go down to Oxford Farm riding and um I uh, the fellow that was running Oxford Farm at the time an old fellow called Keith Garvey was a Oh, bushy, and he was a a great horseman, 
Um, he'd worked with Morris Wright, who wrote the book on the Jeffries Method. Um, and he taught me so much that, you know, just in basic horsemanship and, and how to read horses and how, you know, how much depth there is in a horse, that, that pretty much all started with Keith. So I'm forever in um, his debt for bashing me over the head and threatening to put thumbtacks underneath the pommel of the saddle and all the other stuff that he did to make sure that I got on the straight and narrow with riding um, and not being an idiot around horses. So, um, so he was great. So he's probably the very, my very first mentor. He started, helped me start my first cult when I was about 14. Um, and yeah, forever in his debt, his and Lukey's debt. Yeah, nice. So did you, were you involved with him before you went down to Lukey? Um, yeah, that, that all happened about the same time, I'd say. Um, I think I went down to Lukey's place. You know, I've been down to Lukey's place a few times, but I was very young and didn't really kind of, you know, know what I was looking at or what I was wanting to do or whatever. Yep. And then I went down one year, I remember I must have been 11, and um, she had an old mare that was just, she was pretty old and look, used to keep her around the house paddock. And I just, I fell in love with this old mare and used to follow her around <laughs> everywhere. And much to her annoyance and much to Lucky's annoyance because I kept asking the rider. <laughs> Lucky's going, no, she'll fuck you off. Um, and then, um, and then the fellas and I met up um, at primary school, I guess. Uh, we all were friends from that time on and, and we all had that kind of idea of, of venturing off into the bush and, and doing stuff that rural kids would do. Um, one of my friends, his family's from Narrabri, so we used to go up there and visit yeah, our family. So, yeah, so it's just interesting how all that stuff came together. So that, and then um, I met, you know, got met Keith through that whole interaction with wanting to go riding and... Yep going to, to, you know, ride in the bush at Otford Farm. Yep. That, is that Otford Valley Farm? No, Otford Farm. There's, there's um, at that time there was only Otford Farm. Uh, Otford Valley Farm hadn't started. Right. Okay. So um, Keith Keith was working for Otford Farm for the Lloyd yep. family. Um, and he knew all about, because it's really interesting, because Helensburg had this really rich rodeo history which nobody would know. No. Um, and Robin Yates and a few of the guys from from the area set up a rodeo arena at Helensburg and um, and they used to you know, have quite big rodeos there. Yeah, wow. Um, it's at the Crazy Tea, they call it. Um, <laughs> and um, it was the old abattoirs of the town. And down the hill at the, on the river flat, they set up a, um, a rodeo arena there. <clears throat> and um, that all linked into Oxford Farm. I think the Lloyds bought the whole lot up, you know, when the abattoir closed down. And Keith had known all that had happened at that point. So there was all yep. this history. And even when I went to Pony Club, that, that we, our Pony Club, which was a horse, a horse and Pony Club, it wasn't a, a proper Pony Club at that point. Right. Um, we used to run it at the radio grounds. Yeah, right. Yep. So, yeah, so it's kind of, it's interesting how it all kind of fits together. So, <laughs> so um, you know, early on I'd met Robin, Robin Yates and um, kind of uh, got to know him a little bit, which is yep. which is really cool. Because um, he was a, from what I remember, when I kind of just got into the industry, he he was a bit of a famous saddle maker. Yeah, so Robin Robin was very instrumental in the 
which we'll get into how I started, why I wanted to go raining, because yeah. it's kind of, um, it, it really, it all comes back to Robin, actually, which is interesting. <laughs> um, so Robin was a, um, a, bronc, a, a, one, a really, really good bronc rider, like probably what I've heard from people who are, you know, contemporaries of his, he was one of the prettiest bronc riders in the country. Um, and he also was in the formation of the Western industry in Australia. Oh, right. Um, and so he got a bit disillusioned with the way the pleasure horse industry went. So he kind of stepped away and and, um, and uh, just went making saddles full time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he had <clears throat> some wonderful stories um, going around to what Robin's um, um, workshop there at San Susie and, and finding out about the industry, the history of the industry when I was young. But, um, but he, he was involved in the County of Cumberland Quarter Horse Association, I think it was at that point. And they used to run shows at Bosley Park um, in Western, like southwestern Sydney. Yeah, wow. Um, which I think is all houses now. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and my friends from school and I went to one of those shows, and I must have been like 12 or 13. And um, <clears throat> um, they had the full gamut of Western events, so Pleasure Trail, Hunter on Saddle, um, and cutting, raining. I think they might have even had roping. Yeah. Uh, they just pretty much had everything yeah. there. And I remember seeing the raining horses, and back in those days, the, the horse would maybe walk to one part of the arena and do a figure eight, then walk to another part of the arena and do some pivots, and then walk across <laughs> the fence, and then run down, stop and roll back, and run down, stop and roll back. And that was the raining pattern. Wow, it's um, changed. Yeah, it's changed. <laughs> but I remember seeing those horses and going, oh, they're the most broke horses here. That's what I want to do. And then I spent years with nobody, no information, trying to trying to figure out how to do all these manoeuvres. And and um, my poor old horse at the time, I just terrorised him, just trying to figure out how to do stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how, how it just, it's all circular. It's really interesting how... Um, uh, people kind of, you know, they influence your life. You don't even know they're influencing your life at the time. But um, years later, you realise how it's all fitted together to get to where you've got to. Yeah, that's really true. Mm. Um, yeah, so once you got in, like, kind of, you know, had some some stuff to do with Robin, what was your next move in life? Well, uh, Robin came quite a bit later, actually. Um, like, I'd met him a few times and whatnot, but actually getting to know him a lot better came after I came back from the States. Um, so what kind of happened before that is um, I met a, a woman called uh, Lynn Croft. So she was doing Western lessons and whatnot at Otford Valley Farm where Keith had ended up. Right. At that point. Um, <clears throat> and um, she knew Ross Gould. So Lynn, raining wasn't Lynn's thing, um, but we ended up going and riding it with Ross. And Ross kind of, you know, gave me a few pointers on how to do a few things. Because at that point, Ross was one of the leading rain people in New South New South Wales. Um, and he had a slide track set up. And, you know, I didn't even know what a slide track was at that point. So yeah, right. I was like, yeah, cool, let's do that. So he he pointed me in, in some good directions. So, um, and then I... I Raining Australia is to well NRHA at that point had just started. I just found out that they they'd formed up, and so I rang up um, the secretary who was Dot Rody, yep. and joined. 
So the NRHA for Australia yeah, or for Rainier, okay. Rainier, what is now Raining Australia? Okay. Okay. It was called NRHA at that point. Yep. Um, National Raining Horse Association of Australia. Yep. Um, anyway, so I rang up Dot and um, joined, and they were holding their first maturity down at Lookie's place. Surprisingly, <laughs> it all goes around in circles. Um, and Lookie had quite a bit to do with the formation of of Raining Australia. And um, and so yeah, so Ross and I kind of worked a little bit on the mare I was riding, and I went down to the first futurity. Um, met Philip, Phil Rody, so um, Dot's husband. Um, met Martin Larkin for the first time. Met the Larkin family, yep. um, which which left a great impression on me because they they just worked such as such a team. Um, when any one of the family members was going in the pen, the other family members were all there picking out the horse's feet before it went into show and like taking wow. it. Was like, it was a real production. That's one. It cool. Was great to watch. Um, um, and I met, I'd met Paul Farrell before that um, because of his association with Bookie. Um, and yeah, just fell in love with the sport. And so um, while I was there, Mario Borgelet, who was the judges convener for NRHA at the time, was the very first judge to come out and judge a raining show, a proper raining show in Australia. And um, and so I got to meet him and then he asked me to come over and work with him at Willowbrook Farms in Pennsylvania. Right, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Mm. So Mario, he was the first so did he set up the judges committee or is he just the first judge that came over to australia uh, he'd been working a little bit with um with philip and the other committee members of, of raining australia at that point to work out how to start training reigning judges in australia so uh, philip was the first judges convener and mario and philip worked quite extensively on setting up how we were going to train our judges and how we we're going to test them and accredit them and all that sort of stuff so um so that was really interesting um, not that i was involved in the committee at that point um because i was going overseas and and it, you know wasn't the right time to to be on the rainy australia committee um i actually learned quite a bit through philip um and through mario yep. so now to go, kind of go back just a little bit i've always had an interest in horsemanship so uh, Philip was very much um, a horsemanship practitioner. And at that point, um, the first of the Pirelli clinics was starting to happen in Australia and Philip and Lookie and a few other, um, you know, people that I, that were influential, influential in my life were involved in that horsemanship movement. So I ended up <clears throat> um, <clears throat> also getting involved in the horsemanship movement at that point, running a few clinics for, for Pirelli um, and then organised to go and meet up with him and tour with him in the States on my first trip to the States. So let's talk about that for a little bit because that he was he's still big now in his, like, you know, how people work with horses and his, their horsemanship and stuff, but to go and work with someone of that calibre at that time, um, let's talk about that for a while because that would have been a bit of a game changer, wouldn't it? Well, it was. I mean, I ran a clinic at um, uh, uh, Canahooka. Was it Canahooka Lodge? I can't even remember. What Rondonella, that's right, Rondonella. Um, I ran a clinic for um, for Pat, um, a cult starting clinic, um, 
at Wollongong and Rick Wilson found the rankest horse he could possibly find to bring <laughs> the back to start. And, um, and I was just amazed that this, you know, kind of loud American um, guy was just so like amazing how he handled this horse, how, you know, within 20 minutes he was sitting on it and, and just doing all this stuff. And it's like, how does that happen, you know? The timing, the 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 ability that he had was just phenomenal. Um, so that horse was unbroken, pretty much unhandled. No, no, it was a it was a bronc. It'd be Rick, oh, Rick right. is a Rick is, Rick's a stock contractor. Uh, he, he, right. he bought something that he had in his string that used to, <laughs> he used to buck out. So it's even more of a challenge. So, yes. Um, you know, it was, it was cool to watch Pat work with that horse. And I ended up riding it for the rest of the clinic. Um, yeah, right. So Pat did the first you know, two hours or so, whatever he did for his demonstration, and I, I continued on with it. Yep. Um, so that was really cool. And then um, and then Pat said, you know, if you come over to the States, let's come and, come and go for a tour with us. And at that point, uh, when I went to the States in 1990, um, I'd worked at Willowbrook, and I worked in, in Oklahoma, and then I had a, a break for a bit and went over to the West Coast and um, hooked up with... Um, with Pat at a free for friends clinic in Likely, California, and Likely, California is like you blink, you, you'd miss it. Yeah, right. Um, it's in the high the high desert country, and um, they had a whole bunch of Mustangs they bought in to start. <laughs> and Tom Dorrance was there. Oh wow! And so that I had cool. Philip. Philip was there. The young fellow that was working for Pat at that point was was mucking around laying horses down with Tom. So I just was I was just like soaking all this stuff up. Um, I, I think Tom said two words to me. That was about <laughs> it. But, but you know, like it was just amazing to watch all this stuff unfold, and it kind of became normal. Yeah, wow. Um, and then um, later on, I I met up with Pat and did a tour through. Um, where we start Washington State, went through Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, back through uh, Colorado, back through Wyoming. So we did that whole kind of northwest corner of the states on tour, and that that was unforgettable. That was just amazing experience, working with all sorts of different horses, from different people, different you know, just really yep. really cool experience. Um, and um, yeah, so, but also having Philip as a as a mentor um, through those early years when I was just getting started as a trainer was like a fantastic thing, because Phil, you know, it was like. You ask a question, you get 15 questions back at you. Um, Jeez, that's familiar. Yeah, I wonder where that came from. <laughs> Sorry, everybody, but it's still a sport. Look, he just wanted people to think, open yep. your mind and think your way through stuff. So, um, so yeah, he's, he's an amazing person, Philip. Like, I've, I've never met such an upstanding straight talker as that guy. Yeah, good, nice. So, so when you're with Pat, what... What were some of the common, the most important things that you picked up from him? Um, timing. Yep. The horses, like being paying attention to what the horses' feet were doing. Like you know, there's a there's a saying in the horsemanship deal: the horse is an attitude with four feet. Learn to control the feet, and you control the attitude. Um, so that you know that that's all very well, and it's true. It's absolutely positively true. But you don't know how true it is until. What, you work through it for years and years and years, and you realise that that everything comes down to the feet. Yeah. And um, so that, and and every input that you put you put in 
to ask the horse the question is about where you're going to move that horse's feet yeah you know, with and the timing that you're going to use to get that to happen so so that was that was really cool um also pat never stops like he's there's two modes to pat it's either a, um asleep and there's peace and quiet or <laughs> he's awake and there's 50,000 ideas being flown around the truck cab, you know. Like, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So, um, so it was always like a really interesting time, to, you know, because there'd be constant conversation about um, what, how particular clinics went, how particular horses went, what, you know, what, um, what thought processes were going on. So it was a really, really interesting time. Um, I did get myself in a little bit of a dilemma with my stopping program, um, because of the let the energy out to stop deal doesn't right. kind of work if you want to do a sliding stop. Yeah, and it took me a little while to figure that out. But um, but yeah, there's stuff that I like in my starting how I start my colts is basically what I learned off Pat and yep. Tom and all those guys. You know, because there's a whole group of of them that all kind of come back to Tom, Bill and Tom Dorrance, um, that learnt their deal through that nat like natural in inverted commas yep or, or the horsemanship deal yeah so, um yeah it's it's a really um it was just a, such a fantastic um experience and one that's just kind of stayed with me till now yeah that would be perfect i hope it stays with me till i'm 80 <laughs> or something well, forget uh, it all <laughs> so how long was that tour you went on with him i might have to use this podcast to remind me back when i'm 80 <laughs> what i actually did so, um so how so that tour was uh, I think it was just over a month we did that tour. Yeah, so nice. Just, okay, was, so that would have been pretty full on then. It was full. Yeah, just constant. Yeah, it was like do a clinic, travel, next clinic, do a clinic, travel, next clinic, and, yeah, wow. and to see some amazing country. I even went to a North Dakotan wedding, which is pretty cool. Wow. So we stayed at um, Dean and Colleen Boyd's place in in the like just on the edge of the Badlands in North Dakota, and. Um, and their ranch, they'd, they'd run ropings, you know, every Thursday night, all the uh, local ranches would yeah. come around and, and come to the roping. And and we did a, we, we did, um, a cult starting there that was really, really cool. Um, I think some even some Indian guys from a local reservation pulled horses over. Like, it was just amazing, the experiences that you got to see. But, um, but anyway, so um, I didn't realise that North Dakota was settled by, like, you know, Scandinavian people and um so everyone's got this kind of half scandinavian accent which is hilarious <laughs> it's like do you dean take all the end of tb you're lawful like, i was just you know it's stunning so just see, meeting those people some like the real ranch people in the states was um was really really cool yeah nice um yeah cool so after you were with pat um is that kind of when you're reigning I suppose era kind of began. Um, yeah, so I went to work for Mario at, at Willowbrook, and yep. Willowbrook, if people don't know it, Willowbrook Farms is is probably the starting point of modern reigning. Yeah, it's um, CG Was... Fuller bred Joe Cody. Yep, um, and Bob Anthony used to train out of there, and he's probably the, one of the first people that actually, you know, got horses to stop properly. Right, and um, and Jean. And Infield, I think it is. I can't think of Jean's second name. But anyway, Jean 
um, was the farrier, even when Mario was there, he's the guy who invented the sliding plate. Really? Yeah. And so I'd go, after I finished starting Colts, you know, my day was finished, I'd go up and, and sit by the forge with Gene and he'd tell me about slide plates and you know, where they come from and how he did them. And, and he'd make wow. all his plates up to, to do the horses, you know, wherever he was going to yep. make the plates at night. So, so that was really cool. It's all this history that you don't even know that you're involved, you know, like you're, you're touching. Yeah. You don't know it at the time. It's not yep. until later on you go, wow. Oh, that's, where, that's where it started. Hours, hours <laughs> of the night time talking to the guy that actually invented the side plate. Yeah. Um, and Dick Peeper used to work there. Um, and so there's lots of history at, at Willowbrook. Yep. Um, I think Willowbrook's still going. I think they sold the farms off. Willowbrook Farms was like this, this big enterprise of farming, horse, um, horse, um, facility, yep. horse breeding and training facility, a big farm where they farm corn and all sorts of different things. Right. Um, that Mr. Fuller used to used to own. I think the farms have all gone, but I think um, the actual horse facility is still going. I think they still have the have shows there at um, at Willowbrook. Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, yeah. So I said I rode tons of Joe Cody and and um, so Joe Cody was pretty much the one of the first reigning horses, reigning size in the whole industry. Um, okay, so it's probably a bit qualified, but it's probably one of the first um, first horses that, that could stop yep. um, and and bred on horses that could stop. Yeah, okay. So from, from my reading of history, High Proof is probably one of the first horses that actually had the, a modern stop. Yep. You know, um, and... He was by Joe Cody. Okay. And then, so, and you can always tell a Joe Cody the way a Joe Cody stops because they just break in a line a particular way. Right. Um, and they, you know, you know, it could be argued that there were other horses that were, were stopping, like, you know, the, the um, um, King Fritz horses all were big stoppers, but yep. they were West Coast and, and um, probably deeper. Um and that's why that meshing of the two the yep. two sides of the country has been so important yep. to, yep. to develop the horses that we have now. But yeah, Joe Cody um, and and that bloodline that CT Fuller kind of worked to um, propagate uh, was a was a changing of of the sport. Well, isn't correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Topsail Wiz his yeah, so grandfather top, was Joe yeah, Cody. So Topsail top is by Topsail Cody. Yep. Who's by um, Joe Cody. Yep. So, um, yeah, so you're getting a lot of that, like the, that whiz stop. Yep. That, that's a Joe Cody stop. You can see it. Um, right. You know, in that that bloodline of horse, you can really see that type of stop, that, that particular break through the loin that they had. Right. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, nice. So after you were there, and you, how long did you work for Mario for? Um, I was with, at Willowbrook for um, three months. Yep. And then um, I went down to Oklahoma to Rich and Fliss to sell this place. So I was kind of like a cult starter. Have, um, <laughs> have Pirelli horsemanship halter and we'll travel. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so um, I got all the cults started at Willowbrook and then I went down to Oklahoma to start cults for Rich and Fliss. Um, and Richard Fleece's place is like was located at um, in Marietta, just at Oswald Road, I think it is, just up the road from 
Dick Peeper's place and Bob Loomis's place. Yeah, wow. And so I'd start Colts Rich and Fliss in the morning and then go around and ride with the assistant trainers at, at Dick's place or Bob's place. That would have been good. Which was absolutely awesome. Yeah. So um, Donnie Bricker was at um, at um, Dick's place and and he'd just not long been working for Bill Horn. So um, so like he, he was a great help. He's a funny guy. Um, but you know, like he, he was quite um, quite forthcoming and giving me information, helping me do some stuff. And so was Dick. Dick was great as well. Um, and um, Scott Fisher was working, or Dean Latimer was working for um, Bob, and Scott was a, um, was a uh, an assistant. Um, and this is just pretty much right before Dean went to work for uh, Chasey's. Right. One of the okay. first Americans to go over. Yep to work in Europe. Um, and anyway, Scott helped me out a lot. He, he constantly would be riding, you know, get on this horse, get on that horse. Yeah. Um, he was great. So they, they were really welcoming and, um, you know, they, they all worked hard and if you didn't pull your weight, you got your ass kicked or whatever, but yep. um, they were really um, great source of information and kind of um, kept me kind of trying to work things out and move forward. So it was, it was, a really good experience and then after I um, went and uh, did the tour with Pat um, Richard broke in his arm chasing some cow somewhere <laughs> and I don't know what he did fell off a quad bike or something oh so it wasn't even a horse no it wasn't no it wasn't <laughs> a horse no, no. and um, so I went back to Richard Fleece's to help out there and um, and they're like my second family they're just wonderful people yep so how long did you stay with them for um so all up, probably, I don't know, maybe close to six months. Right, okay. Yeah. Yep. With a break in the middle where I went up into Canada and then went, um, went did that tour with Pat. Okay. So. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Yeah. So how, so probably from that time, did you come back home at all or did you kind of just stay around there longer in the States? No, after a year I came back home. Yep. Um, I was on a six-month multiple entry and um, visa and uh, I went up into Canada and then I came back with a bunch of Aussies back in um, in a car. Yep. And the other guys all had valid, they were all still valid, their their entries. Ah, uh, right. And mine wasn't. Mine had tipped over. Right. And then the border official just looked at the first two and went, oh, you were right. Yeah. And sent us all in. So I was illegal for the next little bit. <laughs> So I had to be a bit careful about staying, overstaying. Um, so, but back in those days, mate, if an Aussie, the border officials couldn't care less. So it was all <laughs> fine. Nobody, I never got in trouble for it anyway. But anyway, I came home in the end of 1990, like right on Christmas time. And I started up horses, performance horses. Okay. Um, like I'd been training people's horses before that. Yep. But uh, the official start of Lawson's performance horses was the end of 1990. So... That's when you just started your own business and breed, starting to breed horses, or you started to show some of your own horses um, in the reining scene. Or were, were you showing reining horses before you went over to the states? Well, okay, let's get. Technically, I was showing reining horses before I went to the states, but um, it wasn't very good. <laughs> and technically, it might have been called reining, but <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Um, it wasn't what I was calling reining. Yeah. Um, so I was working more with problem horses and stuff like that, right. helping people out with stuff that was going wrong. So the reining was like 
um, something that interested me before I went to the States. And then when I came back from the States, I wanted to specialise more in reining, but you still couldn't make ends meet um, with reining horses. So I had everything, Arabs, warm bloods, thoroughbreds, it just started everything and yep. worked with everything. Yep. Problem horses, still did problem horses and um, still did a lot of the horsemanship stuff. Yep. So, um, yeah, but that, you know, if you want to get technical, that was the start of my reigning career right there. Yeah, right, okay. The end, anything that happened before that, I don't strictly call reigning. <laughs> <laughs> so just looking out in your paddock, you've got some two black mares that are mm -hmm. over 30. Um, Blackie's 32 and Gigi's 29, I think she is. So Blackie is back in black um, and Gigi is Eugle Bar Gambling Girl. <clears throat> um, so Back in Black was uh, went to 93 Futurity and um, Eugle Bar Gambling Girl went to 96 Futurity. Yeah, nice. So were they kind of your first horses that you got to show? No, here's a story for you. I had a horse called Lola Quarterback. <clears throat> when I first got back from the States, someone told me about a lady who was selling this quarter horse for 500 bucks. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and I went, oh, I'll go and have a look at it. Yeah. And it was just around the corner. It was like, it was the, it was actually um, over at the Crazy Tea, which was just across the, you know, across the other side of Helensburg from where, where I was. Yep. And, um, and I got on him. And I took my legs away and he started to back up. I went, hmm, there, there might be a little bit more to this horse than, than, than this lady knows. And um, and I did a couple of other things. I asked him to turn around. He started to turn. I didn't. I didn't keep going. I just went, this horse is this horse is cool. Yeah, nice. So I, I, to this day, I don't know who actually trained this horse. So the story I got was that some kid that was wanted to do cow horse had trained him. Um, and then sold him to go over, over the States. Right. So whether that, I don't know who it was, maybe it was Merv Lamey or somebody, yep. somebody who started that, I'd love to know who actually started the work on that, that horse. Um, but yeah, so I bought him and, um, and I rode him a little bit and then he was, he was really cool. Could stop and turn and but change leads and, and do everything. So yep. I started showing him at the New South Wales Club stuff in 91. Um, and I won the New South Wales State Show on him, the Open at New South Wales State Show in 91, I think it was, the first one. Um, and I'd, I had some trouble getting him to stop because I was, like, he'd stop, but I'd get chunked all the time. And it turned out, which is a funny story too. Can we get to that now? So <laughs> do I jump ahead a little bit? Or, um, so... Yeah, so he kind of got me really started in, in showing reining horses. Um, and again, um, Ross and I used to ride quite a bit together. Um, this is before Ross moved up to Queensland. And Rodney Canolan, by that point, had um, started work for Dave Gardner. I think um, Rodney Peachy worked for Dave Gardner for a bit, and then Rodney Canolan came in and worked for Dave Gardner. Yep. Um, and so we started doing this thing called the Three Amigos, which is pretty funny. Um, so we did a reigning demonstration um, dressed as the three amigos, and um, so that was good fun. But um, but yeah, so what? And so Wally, Wally, Wally really got me started in showing reigning horse properly. Yep. And with all the information I got from Mario, because Mario really kind of drilled into me 
yeah. you know, how, how to show, what the judges are looking for. What, okay. You know, just little things that kind of, you know, at the time nobody thought about. Um, like if you come out in the wrong lead, to don't, don't get stressed about it. You don't have to change leads at the end, so you don't just relax. Then as you come to the end, just pick them up, bring them back over the hot exchange leads, you'll get your lead change. Stuff like that, um, you know, he he kind of instilled in me quite a lot of showmanship stuff that I still use today. Um, and so I put that in the practice with Wally. Okay. So that was kind of cool. Yep. Um, I, um, and then in 92, uh, Dick Pepper came out to judge the Rainy Australia Futurity. And he, I remember him saying, he ran a clinic. We used to run a clinic after each Futurity. Doug Milholland did the 91 Futurity at Dubbo. And he ran a really good clinic. Um, and there's stuff that I learned at that clinic that I still use today. Yeah, nice. And Dick ran the clinic in 92. And at the end of the horse show, he said, Rob, what are you doing? I don't know, I can't get these horses to stop. <laughs> and he said, because you're not riding them to the stop. You're, you're, um, you're relaxing right before you go to stop. And that goes back to the, the you know, the horsemanship stuff, which is to right. relax down to a stop. Yep, yep. You know I mean? So I'd kind of go thundering down the pen and then go, huh, and the horses <laughs> would go on the front end, bang, I'd get chunked. And then, anyway, so Dick, Dick kind of revved me up a bit and said, just run down there and just run them all the way to the stop. And I did that. And of course, Wally just drug his butt. Well. It's like, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I just spent two years wasting time on this horse. And he's such a good stopper. Um, so, yeah, it, it, he was a good horse. Anyway, so in that time, I think in 91, I got asked to start the Colts for the Copperwood sale at Inglis's in Sydney. Um, I think Ross might have put me onto that too. Um I think Annette was doing some of the prep, the weaning prep for the, for the sale horses, and Ross said, why don't, said to the Keffords, why don't you use Rob to start the Colts? So I got the job to do that, and that's where I found Black and Black. Oh, so you bought, so you got her from that sale? Um, John Thompson bought, um, bought Black, Blackie. Yep. Um, that's Melissa Johnson's dad. Right. Yeah, so I was giving Mel lessons way back then yeah, when wow. she was like 15 years old so it's three generations of her family I'm, I'm taught anyway so he bought bought Blackie um, and put her in training with me yeah nice okay um, and what about Gigi well he bought Gigi too so after after Blackie's maturity well, it might have been right before Blackie's maturity anyway Blackie Blackie was a super horse she was beautiful um, and Really, really talented. And so we, we tied for first. For the people who don't know, we won the New South Wales Futurity and we tied first place for the um, Rainy Australia Futurity and with um, Watch Me Spin with Rick Tranter. Yep. And um, and we um, ran off and we had, yeah, I missed out by half a point with the lead change penalty. Yep. Um, and... So, so she was a good one. So we went looking for another horse for the Thompsons. Yep. And I went down to Bar and looked at the, um, like the yearling paddock and Bruce Holmes was the, the manager at the horse section at, at um, for Yugabar. Yep. And this black filly starts walking over to us. Like they're, they're, the horses are, all the babies are all over on the other side of the paddock. And this yep. is probably a 10 acre, 20 acre paddock or something. So it wasn't 
wasn't small. And they're on the other side. Anyway, this black filly just starts walking over and comes right up the gate. <laughs> and she's stunning. And I say to Bruce, what about this one? And Bruce goes, no, that's not for sale. Like, come on, come on. She's bloody, that's got to be one. We've got to have this one. Anyway, so he left me. I left there thinking that they weren't going to sell it. Um, and um, so Bruce asked Mrs. Myers whether, whether she'd sell GG, and on the way home, I got a phone call from Bruce. Yeah, nice. Actually, the phone, there's no mobile phones at that point. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so when I got home, I got a message from Bruce saying that she'd she'd um she'd sell GG to us. Yeah, wow. And so, and then she went on to uh, win the New South Wales Futurity, and yep. was um, equal first in the Radio Australia Futurity, and then I screwed up in the turnaround. We did five turns in the runoff, and she was reserve champion. So. <laughs> So I've let both my, both those horses down by being um, silly. <laughs> <laughs> but now those horses have been kind of a bit of a influential in your breeding program too. Like I remember the first time I got to come and ride with you, I got to ride a daughter out of Blackie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so Blackie was a bit hard to breed, so she never really got put to the top horses in the country, unfortunately. Um because I would have liked to have bred her to, to some different stuff, but um, if if she was away from the place, she'd reabsorb. If she ran with the stallion, yep. she'd get in foal and carry it every time. If right. she wasn't running with the stallion, I couldn't get her to, to stay in foal. Yeah, right. So it, it, that's a bit of a shame. But anyway, um, and then the Palmina cult that I'm riding now is out of GG. Yep. Um, and he's a super cult. I really like him. He's, he's just such a nice horse. Really mm. like nice to be around. Yeah, he's very kind and very pretty and, um, yeah, and he's... Um... He's a beautiful mover. I love, I love that about him. And, I, you know, on the Don Vaquero stuff, I've been doing that with him and he's um, he's so balanced. He can just lope under the grotcha like it's not there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. So now that you've come back to Australia and you've, you were competing for a bit, you headed back over to seas again, didn't you? Yeah, so after the 96 Futurity, after GG's year, um, I wanted to go back over and spend a bit more, t- bit more time in the States, but they really had this... Because when I was in the States in, in 1990, I started to be aware of how much international stuff was happening. So the European thing was starting to kick off. Um, Loomis had just sold... I don't know, I can't... Please correct me if anyone knows the number, but I have a feeling it was like 70 horses maybe right. or 60 horses something like that like there was a fair amount of horses went to japan yeah um and i'm thinking you know wow this there's a lot more going on than just you know the states right so i kind of had this dream of maybe going to europe and having you know working over there and having a look because dean had gone over and i'd known that dean had gone over to to Archazies. Okay. Um, so I knew that there was stuff happening in Europe, and I thought that'd be really cool to go and find out. Um, so I, Rich actually set me up um, with a job at um, at uh, Carol Rose's place, so the Rose Ranch, working for Jeff Petzka. Um, and that's about the time that Shining Spark was just starting to kind of their progeny was just coming on the ground, and things were starting to move for Shiner. Yep. Um, and um, so I went over to work with Jeff for three months and then I got 
um, a job in UKB. Yeah, well, yeah. well there's, there's another um, instance, like you were saying, you didn't re- realise that you are going to be involved in history and Shining Spark is like one of the greatest broodmare size going around. Mm, yeah. It's funny how things kind of kind of work out. Yep. I started a cult while I was there called Shiny Shoes that um, that I, um, I hope he's retired now, but he was still going at 23 with a youth kid. Yeah, wow. Um, and being competitive. Like, like they were they were nice horses. They, were, they weren't for everybody, I think. Um, a bit of genuine doc. You had to kind of know how to handle genuine docs, I think. Um, so what, were they a little bit sensitive or were they kind of a bit quirky? Uh, I don't know um, how to best put that. I, I don't think I wrote enough of them to really kind of put words to that. Yeah. Um, I liked them, but then I like kind of sensitive type horses anyway. So, yep. <clears throat> um, so yeah, but but as a um, as a broodmare sire, the, the shining sparks have kind of been yeah very prominent yeah been kind of where it's at so and not just in like cow horse stuff they've been prominent in the reining as well mm, yeah um yeah so just well just kind of being at carol roses that would have been pretty impressive she would have had a fair fair few horses in training yeah i think um sparkle susanna was still there Sparkles, Rosanna, Sparkles, Susanna. I can't think of which one it was, but she was... Well, that she was, was like, wasn't that one of the foundation mares? Well, it's the, the horse that Craig Johnson won the first yes. $100,000 for Trudy on. That's right. And, yeah, poor old thing was bow-legged and hobbling around. And <laughs> <laughs> she was 30-something. Um, you know, like, there, there's so much history in all those places. There's so much... Um, the development of the industry has happened in those places, and I've been so lucky to, be, to have had, um, you know... Um, have that taste, have that um, opportunity to go and, and actually work in those places and have that history. Yep. So how long were you with Jeff for? So I was with Jeff for three months. Yep. Um, leading up to Futurity, went, we went to Futurity. Um, that would have been pretty intense. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Um, it was about the time that Jeff was leaving Carol's. Right. Um, so that was interesting. Um, <laughs> and... Um, I have many stories to tell, but I will not divulge here on, on a podcast. Um, and uh, but it was it was a great time. I really really enjoyed that that period, um, and learnt so much. And it was it was at the time that um, that John Slack and Todd Bergen were were really moving, you know, the industry ahead. Yeah, right. That was pretty. That was a big change in the, uh, the was, industry too. That was just wicked. Just being able to, because Jeffrey had been riding with um with John and Todd, yeah, um, down at the at Cave Creek at that point, um, so he had this, um, you know, in, fresh in his mind, this kind of different, this West Coast style of riding, yep, as opposed to what had been happening up to that point, which is East Coast kind of, you know, pitch and loose, and don't worry about suppling them and all that sort of deal. Yeah, right. Um. And uh, so there was a, that was that was right at that period where that that amalgamation of East Coast and West Coast was happening, um, and to to be in the middle of all that was just really cool. I remember um, I remember Jeffrey just constantly telling me to sit back, Rob, sit back, sit back, sit back, because the style here at that point was like kind of almost a little bit um, stock horsey to kind of pitch over the front, sit over the right. front of the horse a bit. Yep. 
And so, and I'd be going, yeah, yeah, I am, I am, I am. And I'm like, you know, basically acting like some of my customers now. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure I am. I'm sitting back. Isn't the saddle ripping a hole in the middle of my back? <laughs> um, and then I saw, I saw um, Todd Bergen ride at the World Show. And I went, ah, I understand now. It was like a, like a um, light bulb went off. I understand what Jeff's trying to get me to do. That's cool. I really, really like that. Yeah. I'm sitting back. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then I got to meet John and I ended up being quite good friends with John. Um, he's probably one of the most natural reigning riders I've ever met. Like, that guy's just, like, brilliant on a horse. Yeah, well. Um, unfortunately, had his demons and, and um, you know, struggled. Yep. Really, really struggled with, with life, the universe, and everything else. Yeah. But, man, when that guy got on a horse, it was just a joy to watch it. That would have been cool. Yeah. I mean, it was not horsemanship. Yeah. As in, you know, but, but he just had such good timing and such... Um, uh, understanding of what he wanted to have happen and was clear with what he said and the horses were just like they I remember a clinic at at, um, at La Pesquera where John um, there was a horse that one of the guys was, one, of the, one of the Italian trainers was having trouble turning around and he'd been going at this horse for months trying to get it to turn around and John just got on it within seconds yeah probably minutes yeah that horse just freed up and just turned around beautifully wow and it was like Wow, that's just nuts. Because the the guy who was riding that horse, I'd consider you know a, a top hand in Italy. Yeah. So he was no slouch, um, but just couldn't figure out how that horse, how to get that horse to turn around, whichever direction it was. And John just got on and went bum 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 bum, and away it went. So, kind of saying that, what did you notice that John did? Um, was it well, anything? Well, that's the thing. Com- it didn't. You couldn't see anything that he did because it just happened. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like it wasn't like that he did some spectacular new, you know, exercise that you'd never seen before. Yeah. He just got in time with that horse's feet. Yeah, right. Okay. And just asked it to put his feet where he wanted it to put his feet. And it went, oh, thank you for saying that to me. Right. Wow. And just went and put his feet exactly where he wanted to put the feet. So it was more about timing and, and understanding um, how to influence the flight of the flight of the horse's feet. Yeah. And, and that's all it was. Yeah. Um, and not going against the horse. Yeah. Um, and he just did it without even thinking about it. I don't even know that he explained what he did. <laughs> just you know got off I mean? and goes, now your horse is fixed. Yeah, not quite, but, but sort of. You know <laughs> I mean? like it, was, it was awesome to watch and it was amazing that, um, that he could pick that up so quickly um, and be able to communicate with that horse so quickly and effectively to get that, that thing sorted out. Yeah, wow. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So after you went with Jeff, did you go over to Italy, Italy for a while? Yeah, so um, my dad was crook at that point and I came home for Christmas and then I, then I was negotiating with Ferrarini's to go over and work with, with um, Ferrarini Quarter Horses yep. in um, Reginilia. And so I went, I went over beginning of um, 97. Yep. And... Um, and yeah, so work for work for Lucha, and there was a there's a Joe Cody connection there too because um, Lucha bought a lot of his horses from Loomis. Yeah, right. Um, and he had a guy. He actually bought his horse first horses over from Canada. So he had a guy called 
Oh, I can't think of his first name now. Um, Black is his second name. Um, who was probably the first North American to go to Italy to work and train horses for an Italian. So Craig Black, that's it. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that into uh, like overseas travel just started to happen. Like you started to notice more Americans going over to. Well, it had, it, had, European... it had been happening for quite a while. Because yep. remember, Dean went over in 91, yep. I think, um, to work for Archese. And then the whole succession of, of trainers had come over. Dwayne went and worked for, for Lucha for right. quarter horses. Um, Don Boyd uh, went over and worked for um, for Chisel. Um, um, Jim Pizer was working for um, Claudio Risso. Right. Um, and the whole, there was a whole... Because things weren't going good at that point in, you know, the, the early 90s, the, the, there was an oil shock, like the, um, the, the oil kind of quit in Texas um, and the horse industry had a big hit. Right. The cutting industry fell over, basically, because um, that was all oil money. Um, so... So there wasn't a lot of money in the in the horse training gig in the states. So yep. a lot of them were looking for somewhere to go, and there was a fair bit of money being pumped into the European, the, the Italian industry especially at that point. So um, so it kind of worked out. So the Italians wanted to bring horses and trainers over to Italy to um, up the ante yep. to you know like to to get the industry going. There's quite a lot of money being pumped into it to get it going. Um, they all were competing against each other, so they all were vying to get the best American trainer to come over and beat the other American trainer that they may have brought over. You know, <laughs> the whole thing was kind of um, um, was like this friendly competition between some very wealthy people. Yeah, right. And they basically built it from nothing. Wow, which is amazing to see it happen. Um, so that was really cool. So, so I kind of came along at the, sort of the tail end of it. Okay. Because the Italian trainers were starting to kind of really, you know, with that sort of competition that they were they were working with, their skill level came up really quickly. Yeah. And of course, they're really competitive. Yeah. Like they 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 want to win. You know. Um, well, the Italians are always doing well. Like every every web game I've seen, the Italians being in the top five all the time. Yeah. Well, you you look at just the Italian mentality when it comes to sport. Yeah. Their soccer. The, even Ferrari with the you know the Formula One, there are lots of racing car drivers that come from from Italy. Yep. Um, they just like stuff. They like fast. Well, I suppose the Europeans <laughs> in general, because like Belgium and that, they did really well. Bernard yep. Fonk did really well at the last World Games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Europe was like this hotbed at that point. Yeah. Um, I never met Bernard, but Anne, um, I, I I saw Anne start showing. Uh, I think the show at Moonslave. Oh, not moves like um where was it? I remember going to a show and and the this couple of Belgian people turned up and I went oh from Belgium that's really cool and they were like really tough com- competitors you know and yeah right. how did a little country like Belgium <laughs> get like some really like you know top level reigning trainers like that it's it's amazing um what happened so um watching all that unfold was really cool um. But yeah, so that that first trip to Italy, that was a real eye opener. Um, Dave Hanson, Dave and Becky, Becky Hanson were uh, working for Archesi at that point. Okay. Um, and 
um, Enzo Gola bought um, uh, Todd Summers out to show a horse, I can't think of what the horse's name was, but the horse had shown at the American Futurity and done really well. And Enzo bought that horse back to Italy and um, and bought Todd out to show it. So the, my first derby, my first Italian derby, um, I've got um, David Hansen and, and um, Todd Summers. Uh, there's a couple of other Americans there. They're, they're who I'm competing against, which is kind of um, a real eye-opener for me. Yep. <laughs> Here I am in the middle of Italy and I'm competing against a whole bunch of top Americans. Um, so, yeah, that was really cool. That was really, really good. Due to the length of time that Rob and myself were chatting in this podcast, I've decided to cut it into two parts. This is the end of part one. Stay tuned. Part two will be coming up very shortly.